I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been doing fun interviews, and I continue with that. So today, I am with Whitney Williams. So this is somebody you guys might not know. So Whitney, hello. Hello, Mark. How are you? So one of the things that I've been wanting to do with this podcast is... There are so many people that work on magic and so many people that do a, a, a lot of work that I don't think you guys know. So Whitney's one of those people that does a huge amount of work and does a lot of things that you're aware of, but I don't think you really realize there's a person behind it and a whole team, not, not just one person, but a whole team behind this. And so uh, I want to introduce Whitney and really talk about what Whitney does and introduce Whitney to all of you. You ready for that, Whitney? Yes, I am ready. <laughs> okay, so the first question I always ask is how you got into magic. But you're in the case where you didn't know magic before you came to Wizards. So let's start with how did you get to Wizards, and we'll eventually talk a little bit about how you got into magic. So how did you get to Wizards? So I was working at Seattle Children's Theater as a stage manager, and one of the stage managers that I was working with got recruited uh, to Wizards by another woman who was previously a stage manager in the Seattle theater scene. Um, so for a few years there, uh, we were all getting pulled in, uh, through the stage manager network in Seattle. So I came to work at Wizards in, uh, September of 2003 to be the manager of the pro tour. So let's talk real quickly. Um, what do you do? Cause I, I'm not sure the, the audience even knows what you do. So what do you do at Wizards? What, what is your responsibility? So I'm the director of global events, and what that entails is we oversee the uh, execution and uh, strategic vision of events for um, from competitive magic um, all the way to what happens at conventions. But we, we don't just work on magic. We also work on Dungeons and Dragons, um, and sometimes we work with Hasbro on bigger corporate things like Toy Fair or San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and we also are responsible sometimes for internal employee events as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. So let, let's take something like, um, what's the pro tour called now? Um, the, uh, the mythic invitational, the mythic invitational. Um, so what does it take to like, you're going to run that. Um, I mean, in non COVID times, you're going to run yeah. that. Um, what does that entail? What does it take to do something like that? So um, we really start with, obviously, the programs team starts with figuring out what the competitive magic structure should be for both tabletop and arena and as they relate to each other. And then once we know how many tournaments we want to run over the course of a year, we start looking for venues to do that. The Mythic Invitationals, as an example, are in-studio events. Um, so we've been running those out of studios in Southern California. Um and that's been a recent shift for us. As your fans will know, we have been running those in public convention centers for a number of years. So that's been a pretty big production shift for us. So that's been kind of a challenge for us to find a building that works well for our game and for the broadcast of our game and is also like comfortable for the players to be in for three days for a number of hours and that they can get to. So we have to take into consideration not only the technical and production needs of an event, but also like what is the player experience going to be like? How are they going to get there? Are they is there going to be a hotel for them to stay in, or are there places for them to eat around? You know, a back lot in Hollywood does not always check all those boxes. So that's been um, kind of a challenge. So once we have the building, then we uh, and sometimes even before that, we engage with a vendor. 
And the vendor is usually responsible for the broadcast as well as um, working with the building, making sure we have food and beverage, making sure we have medical, all those kinds of things. Um, power, internet connection, you know, all those <laughs> things. Um, and then my team is responsible for actually running those crews on the show floor. So we make sure that everybody's there and everybody has the resources that they need to do their jobs. Um, we, uh, we also do all the back end paperwork, all the contracting with the talent, all the, um, you know, the insurance forms and the safety stuff and the, there's lots and lots to do. Also, one of the big things that you do is if you guys have ever been to a, a big event, there's a lot there's a lot of structure to making the event, right? Even you, you rent the hall, but then everything inside it you have to make, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the banners, all the stands, like everything has to be created. And like I know um, one of the things that happens when we go to shows is there's a, a meeting ahead of time where Whitney and people will like walk us through all the things of like, here's where you're staying and here's where the event is. And then there's always a map of the event. There's always like a, a blueprint or I don't know what it's called, uh, Floor plan. Floor plan, a floor plan. And it, like, it's a major, major thing. You know, like, just the... the One of the things I find very interesting in this is I've, I've gone to a lot of events, but I don't... I just show up, I do my thing, and then I leave. Um, <laughs> and when I get there, I have a hotel room, and there's a, a nice venue set up, and, right, there's all the... There's power and, and internet and all the stuff that uh, <laughs> you take for granted that will just be there, but it doesn't actually happen. And so... Let's talk timeline. There's another thing I find very interesting. Let's say you're going to book a venue. How far in advance do you normally have to book a venue? Well, ideally, we like to be working a year out on an, on an event where we need to rent a venue. Um, in non-COVID times, uh, event, good event venues in the United States and really around the world are in high demand. So to get into a building that, that will be a building the players want to go to and has all the creature comforts that we want... Um, it, it's going to probably take us, we're going to have to be on the dance card for a year in order to do that. Okay, so th- I know this, you're not going to know the exact number, but give me a ballpark number. How many countries have you run events in? Oh, uh, so many. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite thing about this job is magic has, has given me the world in so many ways. Um, let's say, let's say two countries in Asia and, uh, um, maybe, maybe ten countries in Europe, ish, mm-hmm. and then um, in the Americas, I've just really only done events in the United States. Um, obviously, Grand Prix have been in uh, Canada and um, Mexico and South America, but uh, those I have never either attended or produced events in those places. Yeah, so it, it's. One of the fun things about, the, about, about I mean, I, I enjoy this on a lower level, you can do as much more, is uh, the amount of travel that you get, you know, and um, it is neat to sort of see the world, although you, you're much more tactical, it's not just seeing the world, it's like, uh, I got to deal with vendors in Italy or Germany or, you know, name the, name the whatever country you're, you're trying to set up in. Yeah, absolutely. That's been my favorite part, because I do like to travel, and I, of course, I like to be a tourist and be on vacation, but... Um, Working in another country really gives you a, an amazing sense of the culture and what's important to the culture and how they work. Um, so, yeah, I've been very fortunate to make friends all over the world um, and have like really just have had really amazing experiences. Thank you. Thanks to Magic. 
So let's talk a little bit about magic. So you, a lot of the people I talk about on this, a lot of people I interview, sort of, they played magic first, and then they, then wizards was something they drifted to because they played magic. But you're the reverse. So it's sort of yes. interesting that, what was your first experience with magic? So how did you first learn magic? So I was taught magic when, well, actually, once I was offered the job, I sat down with my husband who started playing magic um, in the very early days of magic at Washington State University with some early wizards. Um, So we had magic cards at home. I just had never played. So as soon as I was offered the job, we sat down and Jeff and I played some magic just so I could start getting going. Um, And then I'm a super casual magic player, Um, so I play some magic here and there. When Duels of the Planeswalkers was out, I played that quite a bit um, Mm -hmm. because it was, like, easy for me and super helpful in terms of mechanic tips and (laughs) things like that. Uh, I'm not a big deck builder, so uh, I kind of liked the, like, grab-and-go nature of Duels of the Planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, I'm very much like a pre-built deck kind of player. If um, if I'm going to play, I'm going to play with a deck that's already been built for me. Okay. I'm a little yeah. bit more of a D&D player. Just don't, <laughs> don't tell magic, Mark. <laughs> that's okay. We, we also make D&D. That's, that's fine. So, um, okay. So, let's walk a little bit through the, uh, let's say, for example, um, Somebody wants to do something. Because, like, one of the things I find interesting is um, somebody, someone will plan something, right? They, 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 like, they come to you and say, I want to do thing X. And maybe they don't even know where they want to do it. Uh, I know a lot of times it's sort of like, um, I want to do something. And then, like, your team's responsible for just bringing that stuff to life. So, um, what do you think? What, what's been your favorite thing to run? What, of all the events you've run, what, what was your favorite event to put together? Um, I think my favorite event to put together was the, um, Kaladesh takeover of the Paramount at PAX. Um, that event was just, it was so rich and immersive and so much fun. And the the fans had such a great time. Um, and just like such a beautiful set to riff off of. So you can, guys can I, let, great work. let me explain for people that don't know what this is and then you'll, you'll explain what, how you did it. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, oh, no, okay. the, uh, for those that don't know real quickly, when we were doing the pre-release for Kaladesh, um, there's a theater. So, uh, PAX was going on, uh, Penny Arcade Expo was going on in the convention center. And right next to the convention center is a theater called the Paramount Theater. That's a, a theater that does plays and all sorts of stuff. It's a, it goes back many, many years. Um, and the, we took it over to turn it into what, what so what do we do? We, we turned it into what? We turned it into the Inventors Fair. So there's like a street between the convention center and the Paramount that is, it's kind of a little city side street. So we were able to buy out that street along with the Paramount and set up uh, a bunch of tents along there. Um, and Kaladesh has a, a really amazing visual flavor to it that we were able to riff off of and make it look really beautiful. Um, and then we, uh, my favorite part of that project was that we were able to go out and engage with um, the artists from the local community and inventors from the local community and bring their works into our booths for that street fair. So we had uh, KEXP, which is the local indie radio station. We had um, glass blowers from the Art Institute of Seattle. 
We had uh, we had custom made props from the set out there. It was just a really great experience, um, and we gave our our um, folks who were working the event style guides for um, the people that lived in Kaladesh and let and gave them a base piece of clothing. But then we let them each choose their own accessories and really um, lean into that sense of invention and creativity that Kaladesh. Um, encouraged. And so it was just a really beautiful and fun event. We even had a parade um, around the convention center for that. Uh, it was just a really fun, great celebratory event for Magic. And that was outside the theater. How about inside the theater? <laughs> yeah, so then inside we had the Magic the Gathering World Championships happening um, for half of the day of programming and on stage. And then the other half of the day we were doing, um, Kaladesh preview content and, um, like world building panels and things like that, um, which was really neat. And we also had folks playing magic, um, just regular side events like normal. And then we also had, a um, a merchandise booth where you could buy these sweet, uh, Kaladesh t-shirts that we had specially designed for the event. We had a play mat made for the event with the space needle in it because mm -hmm. the, the space needle was, um, constructed for the 1962 world's fair mm -hmm. in Seattle, which had shared a lot of, uh, it shared a lot of themes with the inventor's fair on Kaladesh. So it was a really, just a really great event to be able to pull all those things together. You also had a gremlin dice bag. That was my favorite. Yeah. We had a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you think people, like, one of the things I like is, so, is what, what do you do that you don't think people like, are aware of? When, when you, people know events happen, right? But what, what is the, like, for example, um, I, I don't think it's a good event, but like when someone comes up with an event and we want to run an event, what, what is, I'm trying, I'm trying to get at sort of what might people not know about, like, you know, there's the obvious thing that you're putting the event on, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on, like not even running the event, the infrastructure. What what other stuff is going on there that you have to care about? Well, that I think the thing that, like what we always say is if we're doing our jobs well, no one really notices what that we're even there, right? So I'm, there's just a lot of back-end infrastructure things to keep people safe and to keep people comfortable that people just don't even realize happens because you don't realize it's happened unless you are feel uncomfortable or feel unsafe, right? So what is the traffic flow going to be around the floor plan if it's going to be busy? You know, how do you lay an event out to make it so it doesn't feel like it's congested, especially at a magic event where you're going to have a bunch of tables and chairs and people getting up in and out of those tables and chairs all the time. Like the tables can't be too close to each other. or You feel like you're squashed against your table all the time and you can't get out, things like that. Uh, you really need to take care of your staff because magic events are long and it, they involve a lot of interaction with the um, attendees of the event. So your judges, your welcoming staff, your learn to play staff, all those people need to be well taken care of. We need to feed them and make sure they have, you know, a good amount of rest throughout the day because it's it's a lot of work to, um, you know, stay positive and happy and deal with a whole bunch of different people throughout the course of a day, especially at an event like a convention where there's, you know, 75 to 100,000 people that are meandering around that takes a lot of energy out of people. 
So, uh, and then there's just a lot of regulation around the production of events, you know, whether you're dealing with um, permitting or safety standards or, um, you know, unions and just there's a lot of rules you need to understand and um, stay within regulations and guidelines and things like that. So hopefully the fans never see any of that stuff. So what, what is the largest staff you've ever had for an event? Uh, the Kaladesh event had, I think, 175 people on staff. Well, that, because that was in Seattle, we, we could have a bigger staff than normal, right? Well, yeah, but it was also just the multiple components of that event. We had a full broadcast production happening, which is, you know, mm-hmm. 60-ish people just on a regular day, no matter what broadcast we're doing. And then we had judges because we had side events. And then we had, um, you know, the staff working the street fair and we had... So we had a lot of a lot of people working that event. So here's a question: I was trying to I was trying to remember this. See if you remember this. When is the first time you and I uh, met? Do you remember? Yes, I do. We okay. met at the Pro Tour in Boston in okay. September of 2003. Okay. I wasn't actually even hired yet. Uh, mm-hmm. The person who hired me was like, "You're hired. We'll sign the paperwork on Monday, but you have a flight to Boston tomorrow. So go to Boston." So they bought me a ticket and I mm. got on the plane and I landed in Boston and walked into the Pro Tour and they were like, this is Mark Rosewater. He's going to give you a tour around the Pro Tour. And so, like, you were, like, the very first person that I interacted oh, with. Oh, I gave with. you, I mean, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember this. <laughs> I gave you a tour of the Pro Tour. Okay. <laughs> so did I convince you to stay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. You, uh, what was great about that is that you were. You know, I was glad you gave me the tour because you were able to answer a lot of my game questions that I had because I was so new to the game. Mm-hmm. So we we not only because I had a lot of knowledge of production and so I didn't have a lot of questions about that, but I had a lot of questions about you know how the game was played and who the player, what the players cared about and. Um, you know, things like that, which you were super helpful with. Yeah, so it's funny. I used to go to a lot of events back in my uh, younger days, um, but uh, I, I don't travel as much. So one of the things that Whitney knows that uh, you guys, the audience might not know, is uh, when my twins were born, I struck a deal with my wife that I, I would travel twice a year. And, that, and so I know Whitney always comes to me because they're always trying to bargain what, what, which, what, what, what's, my, what's my, uh, my usage for this year, so... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we always try to get get you in for the events we really want you for early before somebody else does. But whenever Whitney comes to me, I always, I always know that's a, a sign that uh, uh, a bunch of people talked and they really want me to go to this event. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we it, love having you at events, and the fans love you. So yes, you're a very important person, a true VIP. <laughs> so it is fun. One of the things that. Uh, I always do enjoy is you guys do such a great job of putting the event together that uh, I really do appreciate like behind the scenes when you like we have all these curtains up right and so uh, there's a lot of work that goes a lot of the like, kind of busy work is behind the curtain so that we, we people don't see us doing it but I, I go behind the curtain and there's just so many people working like when you go to like uh, anything where we're shooting something like there's all the video crew and there's just people lined up with monitors and all the director the director and all the people um and then, then there's usually like the lunch area, and you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, there's this weekend for Players Tour Finals, all those people are still working, and our virtual staff room is on Discord. 
So yes. when I walked into the staff room, I was like, I'm here and I've got snacks for everybody. <laughs> yeah, feeding people, thats I think that's a big one for uh, the... Uh... Feeding people is huge. People really, really care about food, both yep. both fans and staff. It's Food is one of those things that makes or breaks an event on both sides of the curtain. How much do you do the programming of the event? Uh, we, we do, we don't, we don't do the, um, like the magic programming. Uh, we leave that to the programs team to make sure we're running like the right formats and, and that all of the events are just running in the, in the, just try to make the most fun and varied format, depending on what the event is, who it's for. Right. I I don't mean the magic play per se, but like when there's speakers or panels or like do you, do you do scheduling or is that somebody else no we do scheduling um and we drive a lot of the content generation uh and sometimes we even dig in and do a panel ourselves but for the most part we try to put together dynamic teams within wizards to work on that stuff um led by subject matter experts so that it's really um so that it's really meaty content because our magic fans, you know, they like things to be deep and detailed and uh, they want to meet the people that make the game and we want to bring those people to them. So what is your favorite detail you've ever done? Something where I, one of the things that's very fun when you're doing something is you're trying to get a lot of the nuance. I mean, you come from a theater background, right? obviously. So what is your what is your favorite detail you did? Where you just a little, not, maybe not people notice it, but the people that notice it, this was just you know mwah, something really really cool. Uh, when we did the giant Aldrazi outside of the convention center at PAX, when the Aldrazi crushing the cop car, my favorite detail was that uh, the Aldrazi had a Seattle um, street lamp that it was holding that it had snapped into. And uh, Jerry Rubin at Sightlines actually got that street lamp from Seattle City Salvage. It wasn't like, of course, it wasn't one of the street lamps actually attached to the street because the Eldrazi was snapping it in two. But it was a real Seattle street light. And then they wired it so that it would be flickering. And then uh, in the cop car that it was crushing, they put um, a fog machine inside of the car so that the car would smoke. And those details, like, I don't know how many fans realized that that street lamp exactly matched all the other street lamps that were in downtown Seattle that day, but it did. And I just thought that that was a brilliant detail. Yeah, real, real quickly, just a little more for people to understand, for those who don't know. So at, also at PAX, but a different year, uh, yeah. this was the year that Battle for Zendikar came out because we were, that's why the Eldrazi were there. Um, we made this, we had this, we had this big hall and then right next to where we were, uh, in the front of the building, basically, through this glass, giant glass plane, we built this Aldrazi, apparently breaking through the gra- glass. I mean, an illusion. We didn't actually break the glass. But, uh, and then, right, it it, uh, it was smashing a cop car and snapping a, a lamppost. And um, it was awesome. It was, uh, I remember, like, you. so what will happen is, ahead of time, you guys will give us sketches and things and stuff. And so I remember that you, uh, like, you guys had a sketch. Well, it's going to look like this. And uh, and then as it would go along, you would give us little pictures of things. Um, and then after the event, I, I remember this. I still have this. Um, you sent everybody at the event a picture of it uh, as a remembrance. And I, I still have that. So Yeah. Yeah. It, that was great. And it, it still shows up uh, on Twitter sometimes, which always makes me happy that it's still, it's still out there alive, even though it's not really alive anymore. 
So do you have, um, is there a dream? Is there something you haven't done yet? They're like, one day I would love to do. What, do you have any sort of grandiose idea that someday you'd like to do? So many, Mark. So many. <laughs> but I think the brass ring is probably everybody's waiting for Magic Con. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we keep talking about. Hopefully one day it'll become a reality. Hopefully um, one day. It's everyone's dream. Fans yeah. and staff alike, for sure. Yeah, it's been, we, we've been talking about that forever. So, we have. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully one day. Hopefully there'll be a point where people actually uh, gather together near each other again. I know, so, I know. That's been so rough. So, so what, I mean, just because uh, it's interesting, what is it like from someone who's so living in the virtual, sorry, in the real world, making real events to shift into like virtual events? What has that been like? It's been so fascinating. I mean, first of all, it's just like there was a time of transition where it, it was like, is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen? Is all of this really going to get shut down? Is this all going to get canceled? And we had for a while, we had this like rolling spreadsheet of like, and we were researching park pockets of the illness and like where things were safe and where they weren't. Um, and that's always been my guiding star. Like I take it very seriously that <clears throat> our decision whether or not to run events could have a real world health impact for our fans. And we take that very seriously. So for a while, we were really looking at what was safe and what wasn't and trying to execute events in in locations where it was safe. Um, but then it just sort of was like a big wave that washed over us and we couldn't do that anymore. So then we had to shift our focus to what could what could we bring to our fans in the digital space? And that really required us to break down what our events provide for our fans and what we could salvage in a digital way. So um, we had to really uh, think about what what our fans like to do and we we haven't hit it out of the park uh we're still experimenting and we're still trying new things i'm really excited about um what pastimes is offering for gen con online um we're trying to infuse a little bit more of the convention or festival feel into what we have planned there um so we're trying really hard to um make our virtual magic events as fun and engaging and community building and like magic satisfying as we can. Um, but it's, it's a tough gig. Uh, magic is a game about the gathering. <laughs> and what I've noticed is that our fans miss the gathering piece. Like you can put the magic piece in front of them in a lot of different virtual ways, but um, we miss the gathering. So it's interesting. As we record this uh, tomorrow, from when we're recording this, uh, I have a panel on uh, San Diego Comic Con at home, which is uh, I, I often go to San Diego Comic Con and it's virtual this year. And so I, I recorded my panel like a, a month ago, and I'm really interested to see how you know it's a very it's me on my couch. It's it's a very different experience. Yeah, um, yeah. It's and all the event producers have really you know, had to, we've really had to stretch and, and try to figure out what, what is still going to be meaningful in when we can't be together physically. So, but it, it, yeah, it is, I don't know, it is like this, 
trying to find things in virtual space is very interesting to me. So I, as someone who plans events, um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious how much of the future, I mean, obviously at some point, uh, pandemic will be done. We get to, we get to gather again and have more gatherings. Um, but I wonder what, like, I, I, it seems like we're learning lessons about virtual, virtual space because we're Absolutely. kind of forced to it. Yeah, absolutely. We're learning a ton about what works in the virtual space and what doesn't. Um, And also just all these digital tools, you know, like this weekend, our staff room is in Discord. um, And I know Gen Con Online is running some um, commander stuff through Zoom and through Discord. So, like, we're just trying to push the edges of the envelope with all the tools and what they do and, and just trying to trying to recreate a little bit of a little bit of that magic that you get when you just put people together in the same room. It's really difficult. So anyway, I hope uh, when it's not too distant future where we we get back to real events. But I, I want to thank you for joining me because I'm, I'm, I'm almost to work. Um, that uh, I, I talk about like, people. I, I've had 700 pod, whatever, lots and lots of podcasts where I talk about design. So people have heard me talk infinitely on design. And I just like it's a fascinating part to me of as someone who works with so many different people. Uh, I just love watching other stuff. So you've run so many events that I've enjoyed, um, and hopefully at some point I will we'll get out of the house again and attend some other events. So um, yeah, let it be soon. Everybody stay safe out there, and hopefully we'll get back together soon. So I, uh, I I'm at my desk, guys. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So, Whitney, I want to thank you for being with us so much. Thank you so much, Mark. And I hope you guys learned a bit about just a different facet of what goes on at Wizards of the Coast. So anyway, guys, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.